Hello. Welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hey, Susan. Hello, Guthrie. How you doing? I'm doing good today. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, we are continuing our series on luxury things. <laughs> I know there was a little consternation about which exact what exactly this this one was going to be on. Yeah, but I I picked one. Okay. Well, do you want to uh, introduce? Oh, them? you want to know what it's going to be about, or not? You know, I wanted to go. Um, I wanted to go back in time. No, I wanted to go back and just really cover the basics of UX and design research. I mean, I think, you know, I talk about it a lot and people talk about it a lot. And then sometimes I realize when people are talking that I don't know if we're talking about the same thing. So I just want to give kind of like my definition about what it is and, and why do it and just the real basics uh, to keep in mind when you're doing design research. So that's what I wanted to do today. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. All right. So I have a list of things I want to talk about, and I probably should have put this list in a, in a better order, but I'm just going to go for it and just talk about some of the things on the list. So the first question, Guthrie, is, you know, if, if someone says, oh, yeah, we should, you know, we should do or we do design research or we do UX, user experience research, like, what does that even mean? What is it and what is it not? And this, so this is going to be the world of design research, according to Susan Weinshank, because not everybody may agree with this, but it's just, you know, what I think it is. So I actually, I think it's easiest to talk about what it is not first, and then to talk about what it is. So I make a distinction between design research and other kinds of research. So uh, design research is not marketing research. So marketing research, I think, I'm not an expert in marketing research, but marketing research has to do with researching uh, people and the best way to get your information out to people and who your personas are that you're going to be buying or um, investigating whether to buy your product and so on. And UX and design research is not that because UX and design research is all about what do we need to know um, in order to make sure that the product that we are designing is designed well and designed right. So it's not necessarily, you know, about how to, who's going to be buying it and so on. It's about the users of the product and the users of the product are not necessarily the same people as the buyers of the product. And this is especially true when you're talking about B2B. Um, so design research is not marketing research. Design research is also not, um, uh, you know, if you think about R&D research, what does R&D stand for, Guthrie? Isn't it research and design, which is kind of... No. What's no, R&D? Re research for? and development. Thank you. Really? Anyway, 
design research is not R and D research. It's not like basic research about. Again, it's not. I don't think it's about just you know any kind of basic research. It's not academic research. It is really specific to what do we need to do and know in order to be sure that the thing we have designed is going to is going to work uh it is in fact research and development allegedly known in Europe as research and technological development that's so weird that i thought r&d meant research and design i don't know that that's one of the ones where you know i know there's a lot of like acronyms in the business world right, i think that's one of the ones that everyone knows what that means really even Why I'm would it be design? Because D stands for design. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. No, no. I think I think everyone knows that it's a uh, research. And this development. is one of those things that bothers me. There's so many things in my in my life that that like I went around for decades thinking that the phrase. If you heard the phrase for all intents. And purposes, but this, but that's one that like is ancient and doesn't make any sense. But I always thought it meant for all. I thought it was for all intensive, <laughs> all purposes. intensive purposes. I went I, at least like intense do, does not really make any sense. Decades, decades. I mean, research and design does make sense, but if you think <laughs> about it, when you're done with R and D then you have to go make the product. <laughs> so if you so if R&D included the research about it and the design of the I product then you wouldn't have anything to do. Well, that doesn't make any sense cuz development anyway. All right. Developing the technology, I guess. All right. All right. So if we talk about what design research is, then I think a good way to talk about it is to talk to split it up into two things. It includes qualitative research and it includes evaluative research. So let's start with evaluative because that's the easiest. So I have designed something, Guthrie. I have an app. I have software. Or maybe I have a physical product. I've designed something. I'm interested in whether or not I've done a good job designing it in terms of the user experience. Is someone going to be able to use this in the way that I was hoping they would be able to use it? And so I'm going to create a research study to evaluate the effectiveness of the user experience. That would be evaluative research. And that's a really critical, important part of UX research or design research, whichever term you like to use. Um, so I, I'm going to take the product, uh, the software, the app, the phone, the remote control, whatever it is, the vacuum robot, and I'm going to put it in front of actual people who are supposed to be the users, and I'm going to ask them to do a series of tasks. You know, can, can you program the vacuum robot to vacuum your living room? 
Um, can you do it in the way I've designed it? Does it make sense? Is it easy to do? Is it hard to do? How is the user experience? So that's a real basic part of design research and UX research. That's a value to research. But that's not the only kind of research that you might do if you're doing design research or UX research. There's also what's typically been called generative research, qualitative slash generative research. I don't know if I where that term comes from. But generative research is research I'm going to do before I design this thing. So it's not a value to research because I haven't designed it yet. Before I design it, I need to do some research. Maybe I need to understand who are the users. Maybe I need to understand what are the what's their mental model about using this product. Maybe I need to understand uh, what is the best uh, task flow or workflow to design into the interface of this product and in order to best match that that mental model. That would all be considered generative research. So I'm, I'm going to do this research to generate the information I need in order to make sure that, that I design the right thing in the right way. So I, I think of design research as being either one of those two things, and those are pretty broad categories, but it's either evaluative research or it's generative research before I have done design. All right, I'm going to pause there, Guthrie, and see if you have any questions. So what, where do you feel, I mean, I don't, maybe this is too far ahead, uh, are there any kind of pitfalls that that sort of divide the you know because you were talking about exactly where this falls in the in like a in like a business sense are there are there things people should be should watch out for from an organizational standpoint yeah or, a, a million <laughs> or is this is this not the time um no I, I can touch on some of that yeah um a million there are there's so many I just think. I think there some of the pitfalls are, are that because there's not necessarily a lot of understanding about UX slash design research, then there's often not understanding of why you need it. It's like, oh, well, we already we are already doing research. And they're thinking about R&D, they're thinking about marketing research, but nobody's doing this kind of UX slash design research. I mean, it just is slipping through, through cracks. So I think that's a pitfall is that people don't understand why you need it or they don't understand how it's different. Um, I think another pitfall is that so it's interesting, even though I think it's different from other kinds of research, it needs to be, um, there needs to be communication between whoever's doing the, this design research and whoever's doing the other research, because I can't tell you how many times we find out that, you know, we're, we're planning this research study, but then there's another group over there 
that's doing something. It's not the same, but it's kind of similar and we're not in conversation with each other. So I think that's a pitfall. I think there really should be uh, a network of about the different research in an organization. And this happens, especially when you have a large organization. Another pitfall, I think, Guthrie, is um, something that, you know, maybe we can talk about in the future, which is h- how do you how do you begin to store all this information? Because what happens a lot of times is there's a lot of research that happens and then people forget about it or somebody leaves the company or, uh, and, and, you know, there's not a repository and then you end up redoing some research that you've already done or not making use of research that was done. Right. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of pit, a lot of pitfalls. I'll, I'll be talking about some of them today and in our next session on this too. Okay. Well, then uh, you you sort of were laying things out. I'll let you continue to lay things out. All right. So another question that comes up is when do you do this research? Like I meant, you know, if if it's evaluative, if we're evaluating the user experience of the product that we designed, does that imply that we do it when we're all done with design? And the answer is no, not really. You want to be doing it. I mean, you can do design research anywhere along the spectrum. If you're doing generative research, you want, you're doing that early to understand, as I said, people's mental models and their workflow. If you're doing it late, you know, if you're doing it a little bit later, you're doing evaluative research because you're evaluating the design. Hopefully you're evaluating a prototype because you evaluated it. You did research before you shipped the thing. So really, um, you know, the idea is to uh, uh, do continuous research and to figure out. So this is where the the idea of of strategy comes in to figure out what is your research strategy. So we have this product and we're going to design it. Let's plan what kind of research we need based on what we know and what we don't know. And what are the, what's the critical points at which we're going to do research? So it's not, you know, so a term that's used a lot these days is continuous discovery, which I kind of don't like that term, but whatever, it's very popular. But the idea is that we're going to, we're going to decide what are the critical places where we should, we should do some research. So don't think that research is only at the beginning or only at the end. It's what it's whenever you think are the critical places. And you have to decide, right? You might not have a whole big research team. You might not have unlimited budget. You might not have unlimited access to users. So you have to put together a strategy. When should we do research? What kind of research should we do what's critical for this project. So that brings us to another topic, which is what does critical mean? And and I think a really good way to think about this kind of research is um, it's all about getting rid of risk. It's all about getting rid of risk. So if I'm gonna develop a product and then 
I don't do research and then the product fails or there's lots of complaints or we have to go back and redo it because we had some assumptions that turned out were not correct. What is the risk of that? What is the cost of that? And that, that'll tell you what to do research on and how much research to do. I mean, if it doesn't matter, if you have very low risk, it's like, it doesn't matter. Just put something out there and then we'll change it. You know, we're agile. We'll just iterate. Well, if there's no risk to that, great. Do it. You can tell I'm being facetious because I don't think that'll work because there's always some risk or there usually is some risk. And sometimes there's a lot of risk. It's like, what if we get this wrong? What if that's not what the users want? What if that's not who the users are? What if the the design, the conceptual design we put together really doesn't mesh with the user's mental model because we don't know what the user's mental model is? You know, how big of a risk is this? How much money are we wasting? How much time are we wasting? And what's the risk of that? You know, we'll have to go back and redo the whole thing. So it's all about mitigating risk. And that's why I think it's really valuable. And I, and I find when I'm talking to business stakeholders, that's how to get them engaged. It is, um, What's the risk? So, which leads us to the next big topic in here, which is it's all about assumptions. So in my experience, working with companies and organizations of various sizes in various different industries, everybody is making assumptions about their users, their products. And, you know, Guthrie, this kind of, I'm sure, gets into some kind of behavioral economics, cognitive bias thing, right? Because we're all walking around making assumptions about the work that we do, and we don't even realize that some of these things that are assumptions we think are truths. And Again, back to mitigating risk. How risky is it? If something you believe is true about your users or your product is actually not true, how how scary is that? Is that a problem or not a problem? Um, so I, I, you know, when I'm working with stakeholders, I always say, you know, what, What are the things that you're assuming are true about the users and about their use of this product? And how confident are you about those assumptions? And what are the assumptions that you're not confident about or you're not sure about at all? So one of the... um, You know, I I was really impressed years and years ago. I know, Guthrie, I've probably talked to you about this. Um, I think this was before you joined the company. Uh, Zappos. Do you know Zappos? Yes. So um, Zappos uh, sells shoes and clothing. They started with shoes. 
And when I first worked with them, they had just been bought by Amazon. Are they still owned by Amazon? I think they I, are. I I believe so, but I don't know. It's been a it's been a number of years since I've looked up the whole thing. So they um they wanted to do some research and they they wanted to do research specifically about their assumptions. So ha- they had these this set of assumptions that were some of which were really strongly related to their brand. And so they had assumptions about what did people, you know, really think was critical about um, their shopping experience with Zappos. And they were interested specifically or specially in people who were already customers. And they had a whole bunch of, you know, assumptions that they were basing their work on. Uh, For example, the fact that um, uh, really fast shipping, like overnight shipping, was critical. Like that was, you know, people really wanted that. And just, you know, all kinds of things about the, the shopping experience. And they wanted to test the assumptions. And I was pretty impressed that they wanted to, to to test what I actually called their, I don't know where this phrase comes from, but, you know, their sacred cow assumption, the assumptions that they were so integral to who they were, but they wanted to test them. They were like, what are we missing here? Are we missing anything? Are these assumptions still true? Uh, and they also wanted to compare it geographically, and they wanted to compare it in terms of uh, the... Okay. All right. Yes. What you don't want me to get into all the details? No, no, you, you can, you can, you can. But what? No, just uh, we, you don't have to go through the entire, the, okay, the entire anyway, study. Talk, it was very. I was really impressed with yeah. them wanting to test, yeah, their assumptions. So we did. Fantastic. Some of their assumptions were right. Some were wrong. No, but that's not. This is that's something that's very rare. I don't think we've. I don't think we've really run into much of that since then. I know. So why not? Is this your point? <laughs> that is my point. It's valuable. Test your uh, assumptions. I have I have a suspicion as to why. Okay. Uh, it's the it's the. So I used to work in risk mitigation before yeah. I did UX stuff. Yeah. And it's just not something that is clearly. Under, well understood. It's hard. So I'll give an example. I was working uh, for a energy company mm-hmm. who was doing offshore exploration. Mm-hmm. And the, the federal laws are that you have to um, have a escape boat for each person that's on this if you're in like the gulf of mexico if you're on like a platform doing exploration for oil and gas you just every person has to have a a seat on a escape boat in case okay not their own boat but they have no they have to have a seat you have to have enough Um, seats for everybody 
Right, exactly. Okay. So at any at any time, everyone on the on the platform can get a boat and just sail off to okay. shore safely. Yeah. And this is like a real boat. This isn't like a emergency, you know, airport air, air airplane in the ocean kind of raft. I mean, this is like a real. Oh, a, an actual, not just a wrap, not just, not a, just a flotation raft. device. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a small little boat that has okay. a motor and you can just okay. sail okay. away. Cause you're in, you're, like, you're in the Gulf of Mexico. It's not like, yeah. it's not like you're in the middle of the Pacific. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the, the, the boat hangs over the side with ropes and chains. Okay. And one of the uh, factors that the risk mitigation team did was uh, analyzing the suppliers of who made the little ropes and chains to make sure that they were using the correct type of metal. Oh, goodness. Yeah, exactly. Oh, goodness. <laughs> what a waste of time. And so I didn't say it was a waste of time. It's just like, I'm really glad that's not my job. Well, it's not that hard to do. You just have to make sure. So they, uh, they, you know, did all the specs. And so if they had come back and said, uh, "Well, everything looks fine," uh, it is a huge amount of wasted time and effort. Not a huge amount. It's a small amount of wasted time and effort. If they come back and they say, "Oh, one of our suppliers was using the wrong kind of metal in the hooks." Yeah. Then in the chain that was holding the boat up. Yeah. Okay. Well, then people go, well, glad you caught that. Like what value did that add to the company? So the only reason, by the way, that we were actually looking into this is because before I was there, a couple months before, there had been an incident in which the wrong hooks and chains had mm. been used mm. that were not corrosion resistant and this was in mm. the ocean and so they over time they corroded mm -hmm. they cracked mm. and the boat one of the boats fell and smashed into the ocean and sunk and because of that mm -hmm. all work had to stop Ooh, for out. weeks okay. and weeks and weeks because right. they had to helicopter everyone out and oh then they had goodness. to so like get a new very... boat and they had to buy a boat and they didn't have a boat and they had to redo the chains on the whole thing yeah. and it was weeks of delay yeah. which in you know this sort of industry is like you know millions very and millions expensive. and millions of dollars right. so it's like one of those things where how do you like obviously if the bad thing happens that yeah. everyone's like, oh, yeah, risk yes. mitigation, right? I see it, right? Uh, you know, obviously, there was I the know. oil spill in the Gulf. Well, if you could have avoided that, you would have saved a bajillion dollars. But if it's something where in this, for like a Zappos case, they're doing risk mitigation. What if our primary assumptions about everything we do is wrong? Right. So if, we're, if we do this, there's a value in mitigating that risk, even if it's small, even if we think there's only a 1% chance that yes. our entire, you know, maybe let's, let's move away from the Zappos product. There's a 1% chance that our entire software strategy is not going is to be wrong. compatible. Right. So we should do some research and figure out, you know, if that's true. Even if there's a 1% chance of that happening, you can prop do a probability calculation and figure out the actual value to the company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that 99 times out of 100, there's nothing wrong. 
And now you've just wasted what looks to be time and money doing this research that doesn't get anywhere. So in the Zappos thing, okay, we want to research our primary assumptions. And if they turn out that, oh yeah, our primary assumptions were correct, everyone says, yeah, we know they were, they were correct. Why did you do this research? So it's always like the, like companies don't do it because most of the time it doesn't, you don't find anything terrible. Except. And then, so, so there's no, so people don't see the value. People I, don't see the value right. and that's not how you get promoted. I, I researched 10 things and confirmed that we were doing things correctly. Is <laughs> not going to get you the promotion <laughs> that you've been looking for. So this is the problem. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely understand what you're saying. Although, <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm totally biased. Although, I've never done research where everything turned out it was perfectly fine. <laughs> now, well, I know you can find improvement, but it's not like it's not like oh my god, you know. This I don't is know. I would say <laughs> most of the projects I, but see, I, I'm probably brought in on projects where people suspect there you're are brought in when people problems. are yeah they're they're researching things they know they have problems with and yeah they don't, maybe don't know true. what the right answer is that's true which is very different than okay we're doing okay. this research because there's no problems that we but see listen i understand what you're saying but but here's the counter argument well there are companies that I was just going to say nobody has too much research going on, but that's not true. I think there, you know, it's so interesting with UX research, Guthrie. We've seen this huge explosion in UX research in the last couple of years, right? I mean, it, it's just enormous compared to where it was five, ten years ago. True? Yes, automated UX, automated research. Oh no, no, no! Look, you think people are doing more? I, well, there's more. There's more like marketing research being done. No, there's more. Look, the the role of a UX researcher that was not even a specific role 15 years ago, or even 10 oh, years 15 ago. 15 years ago. Okay, sure, sure. It wasn't yes, compared to compared to 10 years ago. There was a ago, UX sure. designer, and the UX designer maybe did a little bit of research. But the fact that you could you would go online and search for jobs and there'd be a job called UX researcher. I mean, that wasn't a thing. So it became very popular or fairly popular, um, fairly, fairly recently. But I, I'm just, here's my point. In most organizations, most organizations, there aren't enough UX researchers. There aren't that many of them. So there it's easy to figure out which things should be researched and and you know it's it's not being done for regulatory reasons most of the time some of it is but most of the time it's not so so it, you can figure out which things should be tested now uh, there are some exceptions to that i mean i've been involved in um, testing medical devices that the F and the FDA requires that you test medical devices and they requires that you test them to a level of statistical significance, which yeah. means like 
doing running 240 users through how the defibrillator works. But th- this is, and the, but I don't think that's what we're talking about. That's no. a that's a whole. Those are specialty industries that do, those that are do specialty exist. industries. Well, I'm talking about those two, but yeah, but I I just think I understand what you're saying, though. You know, unfortunate. It's to me, it's unfortunate, but absolutely true that in general there isn't a lot of interest in designing something to, to make sure that it's usable and has a good UX experience unless there has been a disaster. I mean, that's when, you know, that's when companies get interested in, in it. You know, there was the phone call I got from an insurance company that, um, because their, their form that the real estate, so it was an insurance company that owned a lot of real estate and bought and sold a lot of real estate. I don't know if you realize Insurance companies, they sometimes make a lot of money. They have to do something with that money. And sometimes what they do is they invest in commercial real estate. So this was an insurance company. They had a form that the appraisers would fill out that would appraise the value of the real estate. And the form was really hard to use and nobody cared until an appraiser used it incorrectly because they couldn't figure out how to use the form and the appraisal for the commercial real estate was off by $7 million and it sold really fast at that lower price and they lost $7 million. And then they called saying, we need to fix the form. You know, that's when people care when there's, when something has gone wrong. So I don't know, is that worth somebody doing a quick evaluation uh, yeah, of well, that form? It's of, course, of course it's worth it, you know, and, and I can make, I, I can do the math. $7 million to uh, fix the form. Yeah, no, it, it, exactly. Um, there's, but, there's, 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 there is obvious math that shows that it's worth it, but it's not sexy and it's not going to be, you're not going to get applauded it is in an organization for it. Save seven million dollars? No, 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 no. But see, you don't. Uh, that's a thing. You don't know that you're going to save it. Most yeah. of the time, you're not. You know. So this is the. You wouldn't. No one would think. No one thinks the bad thing is going to happen. That's true. That's that's that, that's what it is. Isn't that a cognitive bias too? Sure. Yeah. That 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 the bad thing that's unlikely to happen is actually going to happen. People say, yeah, you know, yeah, they guess there's a chance, but. So, you know, if you make it less likely, people just don't care. What do we do about this, Guthrie? Uh, cha- change our line of business? <laughs> no, that's <laughs> not what I meant. How do you convince people otherwise? Oh, I don't think you do. You don't? You just got to wait until there's a disaster? But there are a lot of companies that are that that have UX research and design research. But well, yeah, but when they're programs. doing UX research, I mean, we're talking about different different stuff here. Um, most of the time, when they're doing research, it's not about risk mitigation. It's about um, it's about uh, uh, growth potential. So we want to scale is, our product. To t- no, I I don't because think, what's I the risk if we don't scale? 
No, that's not how they're looking at it. They're Mm -hmm. being like, okay, so we're at 5% market share. You know, what's holding us back from 10% market share? So if we understand our target audience better, then when our our product is better, then we can get to 10% market share and make money. So it's, it's all about, it's all about the positive. I don't, I don't think anyone's doing it for pure risk mitigation. So you're saying my entire argument that design research is all about I'm saying you're right. Everyone else is doing it wrong. I agree with you. But I thought that the risk mitigation argument would be powerful with stakeholders. And you're saying, nah. No. You can't get you can't get promoted on that kind of stuff. Well, I'm an outside consultant. Hey, we had we had zero percent growth this year because we mitigated the risk of being negative two percent growth. Zero percent growth. It's not, you know. Well, You're not getting promoted. Everyone's going to get excited about it. No. You know, so it, yeah, yeah, it has to be, you know, uh, you know, or the number went, the number has to go so, up. There has okay. to be a number and it has to go up. So. It's the only thing companies will understand. So, I'm sorry if I made this, yeah, you, you, you really, asked for my, <laughs> my thoughts. Why and did now I you ask you for your thoughts? I don't know. You should have just kept going. <laughs> I remember now you were talking, you were giving a sort of a Zappos thing and you were breaking down the entire. I was. Okay. Okay. And I had to. So when you're working with, so what, what argue, so what should you say when you're working with your stakeholders? Like nothing? Like just don't try and. Well, what's the goal? If the goal is just to do more research, then just focus on the positive gains to gain an orientation. If we understand uh, if uh, our customers and our CPS, net, okay. their NPS net promoter score will go up okay. one point and that'll lead to 4% wow. more conversions. Okay. It's all just A, B, testing, okay. big data, conversion, NPS stuff. Like, Unless, I think, I think yeah. okay. my, my last thought before I let you get back to it, mm-hmm. I think the reason that research has exploded is because yeah. it has been um stitched into some of the other big data initiatives that happened at companies and so there are there's companies are doing a lot more analytical stuff a lot more big data a lot more research just sort of period yeah um and they're doing they have whole data analytic departments and they have blah 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 and there's some stuff that is hard to quantify and so it's just the the so so you kind of need research to kind of get through those hurdles and they've managed to tie the research to the big data analytics well, stuff like NPS. Sometimes you need the why, like the, the data analytics tell you this, this is how X, Y, Z is happening, but you don't know why. So sometimes you need it for that yep. purpose as well. Yes. So, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, for all, so, so that, that is why that's what I think is, is really happening. That's interesting. Hmm. Well, scratch my ideas. No, no, say your ideas. I still think you're right. You should advocate for your ideas, even if 
I don't, even if you don't know, even though you don't think they're gonna work. I don't. Well, I don't think that's. I just, you know, I'm just a cynic about business motivations. But you know, hey, look, people who are listening to this podcast—they're the smart ones out there. So you should just—you should <laughs> present your ideas unadulterated, and then they can be on the cutting and, edge. And 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 then they won't work. I am sorry for derailing you. No, that's all right. It's good because it actually. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to twist it and make it feed into the next topic. Okay. Which is working with your stakeholder. Cuz I think it's really critical. I I guess being a practical person and being a person who is usually an outside consultant, I I am I am almost never it's been a couple of times, but most of the time I'm not sitting around thinking up the research I would like to do. I have somebody who wants me to do research on a particular topic. I have a stakeholder. And so I think it's very important to know at all times who is your stakeholder, who this particular piece of research, who cares about it, why do they care about it? what's important to them about it. And what I find, especially in research, is that the stakeholders often have not articulated what they're trying to find out. It's not clear. Like somebody's just decided to do research about something, but they don't, they haven't communicated that clearly to you or why or why now or what it is they want to know. And I think it's a mistake to just go into doing research without trying to get some of that articulated. So I think it's really important that you know who your stakeholder is, that you work with them to try and get that figured out ahead of time because you have to figure, you have to design a research. You have to figure out, are we doing qualitative? Are we doing generative? Are we doing quantitative? Are we doing evaluative? What are we doing? And, and with whom? And how much? And how long? And you can't, you know, you can't make those decisions if you don't have a, a research strategy. So you got to help. And I find you got to help your stakeholders articulate that. Rarely does anyone come to me and say, this is exactly what we want to know and this is how we'd like you to do it and that that those ideas are clear and 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 a good idea so that's um so that i think ties into what you said guthrie because is it are they you know do they have these risk mitigation assumptions did something bad happen and they're trying to figure out why or like you said nah nobody's thinking that way they're thinking about growth, they're thinking about opportunity. And being able to talk about it, about the research you want to do, and match that up with what it is they want to know is critical. And I find you have to, like, pull that out of I mean, I've had, I've had clients who, you know, oh, we really want to do research on this, but it's still not clear. Even when they think they're clear, they're not clear. And, and so you have to 
you know, you had to push him. What is it you really want to know? Why do you want to know that? What, what kinds of information do you want to have coming out of this research? What kinds of decisions do you want to make, be able to make coming out of this research? Because then you have to figure out whether that's even realistic or, and sometimes it's just, there's so much stuff they want. You've got to prioritize it. I'm a thing I say a lot when I'm working with a stakeholder is, you know, let's come to, we're going to have a meeting, come to me with all the things you want to learn, and then we're going to prioritize them. And, and that's really useful conversation to have. Um, so know who your stakeholder is, find out what it is they want to know from the research and then force them to prioritize that. Cause often you can't, you can't do it all, at least not in one research study. All right. Okay. Uh, let's see. Look at my list here. So. Let's talk next about research plans versus research protocols. Because there's, um, I guess there's three deliverables that I think are critical to come up with during research. One is the plan, one is the protocol, one is the report of findings. So let's see. Let's go backwards. How's that? Let's go to the end and work our way back. So the, the coming out of any research you do, you want to summarize your findings and give that to your stakeholders. And um, usually, often at least often, maybe not usually. I have to have different versions of that. Like I have to have the detailed version for the one stakeholder I've been working with a lot, but then I need a like a less detailed version that goes to maybe higher up execs and, and so on. And uh, I have pretty strong opinions that that report of findings should be given in in a conversation, not just a written report that gets handed over. I've seen a lot of really great research and not get used and not get read because it was a written report and nobody, very few people will read a written report. So I think it's really important to do it as a presentation. You can also do a report with it. You can have a detailed written report, but I think you need to have a presentation that you can talk through. And uh, Guthrie, you know from firsthand experience with me that it's really easy to underestimate how much time it takes to put those reports together. I think there have been many. Uh, you, you especially do not like putting them together. I don't like putting. Yes, I do. You like coming up with them, but if you there was like someone, if you had like an admin assistant. <laughs> yeah, who could, who or could actually do the putting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually create the <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now I don't mind, you know, putting that kind of stuff together. That's that's fine for me. But 
Uh, some people are better at at creating a story and putting the de- the detail the right right amount of detail. You don't think I'm one of those? Oh, I didn't say you're not good at it. I just said you didn't like it. Oh, you're being very nice and. You would much rather just go up there and talk. Yeah, I get. Well, you know, like I'll put together. Uh, I'll we'll do some planning for like how long a project is going to take. And I, I just, I know from having done this so many times, I know how long it's going to take to put that research report and presentation together. And I can't make myself write that many hours in the spreadsheet planning it because it seems impossible that it would take that much time. but And I know as I'm estimating it that I'm even underestimating it. It can take more time to do the research report than it did to do the research. It's it's amazing how much time it can take to put together a good report. Well, that's, I mean, that's true of all, a lot of admin tasks. It just, like, like so if the research too, right? You have, you have like a couple hours talking to people and then it's hours and hours of parsing data and writing the questions and getting the I insights used to give, and making the reports. I used to give people two options. I don't know that, I haven't done this lately. Option one was um, we get on the phone and I tell you what I found out with no report. <laughs> and And option number two was with a report. But you know, you'd have afterwards, and because the price was like half as much if you didn't. Do it's, the no, we've we've we sort of run in the middle. I think. <laughs> I no, I used to do that though. I think that was before you were with the company. Everyone wanted a report, but they didn't want to pay for it. So I ran into trouble with that strategy because it was like, well, I want the report, but why does it cost so much? I don't think they believed me. Anyway. You need a good report. You need to present the report. You may need multiple levels of the report. Okay, so that's the findings report. Um, before that, two other documents I think you have to have. The next one backing up, going in opposite direction of the timeline, is the, the research protocol. So the research protocol is... Um, the way I use that term is it's the detail of what the researcher is going to do and say. So, for instance, if you're doing an evaluative user test where you're having people do tasks and you're observing them, it's literally the list of tasks. It's like, okay, here's the scenario. Here's the task that you're going to give the user. Here's the instructions you give the user for each task and so on. So it is literally the form that the researcher follows during the research. Or if you're doing an interview with users, it's the interview questions. Um, That's what the protocol is. So it's exactly what the researcher follows during the research. And I find I find that there's sometimes confusion between the protocol and then the third 
deliverable that I'm going to mention, which comes sequentially before the protocol, which is the research plan. So I make a distinction between the research plan and the protocol because the plan is is not the step-by-step of what the researcher does and says during the research. The plan is the um, is your description of why you're doing this research, when you're doing it, who you're researching, what an overview of the methodology you're going to use. So it's a higher level than the protocol. And it's important because you want to make sure you get buy-in from your stakeholder stakeholders about what you're planning to do before you go create the protocol and actually do it. Um, this is always true, but here's why I think it's important. I've seen many situations where people say they want to go find out about whatever the research is about. And then when you conduct the research and bring the results to them, they don't like the results. They don't like the answers you have. They don't like what you found out. And they want to argue with you about it. And so the best way they have to argue about it is to argue with your methodology. Why did you talk to those people? Why did you ask them those questions? Why did you, you know, why didn't you talk to these other people? Why didn't you do this? So the best way to stop that from happening is to get their agreement and approval on the plan and to get their agreement and approval on the protocol. They still might not like the result, but it stops them from objecting based on what you did because they saw what you did and they said that was a good plan. And so then they can, you know, they can have all kinds of arguments about what to do about your findings if they don't like them. But I really, really, I cannot tell you, Guthrie, how many times if I didn't or if the team didn't get buy-in on the plan ahead of time. And, and the most common one is, oh, why did you interview those people? Or why did you do the user test on that, on those people? Yeah, if you'd done it on these other people over here, you would have gotten totally different findings. So that's why I think a plan, but besides which it's just really useful to, to write down, look, here's what we're going to do. Here's the questions we're trying to answer. Here's the way we're going to go about doing it. Here are the people we're planning on talking to. Here's the time frame for it. Um, and we're going to do a, you know, we're going to do one-on-one interviews or we're going to do an interview combined with uh, having them do some tests in the, with the prototype and, and, and so on. Um, so that's your plan. Then you create your, you get approval from your stakeholders on that. Then you create your pro- protocol, get approval from your stakeholders on that. It'll put you in a much better position when you get to the other side of it. So, um, Guthrie, so that, that's kind of my, 
I don't know, my summary about critical ideas and issues in doing UX research, uh, design research. Uh, do you feel, Guthrie, that there's anything I have left out in terms of what's critical or or just questions you have about about research? Uh, I there's not no, but I also know a lot about it, so I I, I can't think I nothing is coming to mind for me. Okay. Well, you know, we were we had talked about the fact that we're doing a series, right? Yeah. Um. So in in uh, this was the kind of the introduction to uh, UX and design research. So then, what we're going to do in our next session on this topic is we'll do a deep dive into um, into some of these. I've talked about a lot of stuff, so. Uh, we may not be able to do a deep dive in everything, um, but we'll do a deep, di- deeper dive into some of some of these issues, and that's what we're going to do in our in our next one. And if anyone has uh, questions or comments, we always invite those. And Guthrie, what's the best way to reach us if someone has a question or a comment? Uh, email us at info at the teamw.com. Great. You know, one of these days, maybe we'll have to. Uh, I've always disliked Twitter. Always, or just since you know no, the last always. year. Uh, I've had a I had a burner Twitter account just sitting around, uh, but <laughs> I uh, since twenty seventeen, I just have not used Twitter. Okay, so what's your idea? No, I just, uh, you know, may, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll start up like a, a blue sky or something. If, the, if there's like a Twitter alternative that's not terrible for everyone, you mean uh, as a uh, well, I'm, as a way I, for like, on a corporate level so that people can get in touch with us? Oh, so so what is what is that going to be? I don't know yet. You know, like I said, maybe it'll be a blue sky account once once those kind of once they figure that out or. But it's not gonna not gonna be on Facebook and it's not gonna be on Twitter. So it's gotta be something. Okay. In the meantime, use email. Use email. All right. Thanks, Guthrie. Thank you. Bye. Bye.